this morning, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, and let's go to chapter 9. We want to pick up our study in verse 11 uh, through 15. We want to look at this position, Jesus, our mediator. Now, we've touched on this already in Hebrews chapter 8, but I see the importance, how we need to understand, and we need to know uh, this place of the mediator. Now, remember that the book of Hebrews is being written to Hebrew Christians that are coming out of a Judaism, having to trust God completely and totally. Their faith is being challenged. One of the things we've been mentioning, as you look at the book of Hebrews, it was written about two to four years from there. It would be 70 AD. And in 70 AD, we know that Titus and the Roman army came and leveled Jerusalem and leveled the temple. And so can you imagine where they would have to trust because God's going to scatter them and they have to trust in the Lord, not in the arm of flesh. They have to trust in the Lord, not in the law. And it's easy for us to understand, but I want you to think this morning, what has God brought us from? What were we hanging on to that now we've come to this place understanding that we need a mediator and that we've come uh, to this bridge builder to God, which is Christ Jesus? Have we truly accepted him? And so we want to look at that again this morning. Now, I want to read the text, verses 11 through 15, and then we're going to begin to expound. So we begin here in Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of jesus christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to god no sin cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living god and then he comes to the conclusion and for this reason he jesus christ is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Let us pray quickly. Father, give us understanding of the text this morning. Lord, give us that, that place to know and to receive finally this mediator, which is Christ Jesus. Lord, show us how uh, the Old Testament pointed to the cross, the blood of goats and bulls and lambs, turtle doves, was not enough. It was a picture. It was showing us what was to come in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Not having to trust in uh, the high priest to go in to the Holy of Holies once a year. But to come to the conclusion now that Jesus is our final high priest. Lord, teach us what a mediator is. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. When you go to Webster's Dictionary, 
the Webster's Merriam Dictionary, you, you look at the word mediator. And basically it means a negotiator, a person who acts as a link between two parties. We know that Jesus is our mediator. A mediator, one who intervenes between two persons who are at a variance with a view to reconcile them. This word is not found in the Old Testament, but the idea is found in Job chapter 9, verse 33. Now, when we look at our scriptures and we look at the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you see the five books of Moses. And so we look at the chronological order. But many scholars believe that the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And here's Job, our brother in the Old Testament, having to trust in a mediator. He was searching for a mediator. He calls it a day's man. Let me read to you concerning Job chapter 9, verse 33. And listen to what Job writes. He says, neither is there any day's man between us that might lay his hand upon us both. And so the word day's man uh, in the Hebrew uh, to argue one's point that's what a day's man would do to decide for one's actions to judge or to plead for one's action i like what vine's dictionary of the hebrew words it says this that the word day's man speaks of the empire uh, for our defense job is writing there in chapter 9 verse 33 and he's seeking for this day's man the dilemma that job faced is that he sees the greatness of God, and yet Job himself is nothing. There is no righteousness in him. He recognizes that. There is no righteousness in us. We need a go-between. We need a bridge builder. We need this day's man. The guilt or the gap between Job and God is too great. And so Job pins, there is no day's man between us. He sought after a mediator at this time. Now, the only solution to Job's problem was that his need for an arbitrator, a mediator, one who could stand between man and his creator, one who could touch them both. Now, this is what Christ has accomplished as our mediator in the New Testament. Paul the Apostle recognized this as he wrote to young Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And again, here's the Greek word. Now we look at the word uh, to mediate or mediator. It simply means one who goes between two parties, a communicator between two, a reconciler, and I like this, an intercessor between two. To mediate is also to be an ambassador for. So we're looking at the Old Testament already with the book of Job, the law, the priesthood, Aaron, the first high priest, the animal sacrifices, Moses, the deliverer of Israel, mediated to God for the people. All these were temporal. They only covered for a season. Jesus came now to mediate for all mankind, and I want you to remember this once and for all. It is finished was the cry of victory on the cross. We know that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was ready to give up the ghost. And he looks up into the heavens, and he says, it is finished. 
Now, we can look at those words, but the meaning is so deep. Everything was completed at the cross at Calvary. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and three times he cries out, let this cup of death pass, but if not, let not my will be done, but your will be done. He went to the cross voluntarily. He became that mediator for you, for me, for the last 2,000 years. Oh, how we desperately need this mediator. You see, you and I cannot get into heaven on our own merits. We cannot get into heaven in our own works. There has to be this arbitrator. There has to be this bridge builder between God and man. Now, there are those that say, well, all roads lead to God. And I would have to agree, yes, but which God are you talking about? You see, the God that we serve is the eternal God. And to get to the, the Father, we must go uh, through the Son. Jesus gave us ample examples concerning that place. Now, come to the cross. So many times we want to go around the cross. We want to go over the cross. Sometimes we even want to go under the cross. But we must go through the cross. That's the bridge builder. That's what Christ did. It is so important for us to see that. Very important for us to know this. Now, I want you to think of the Hebrew Christians this letter is being written to. Uh, their concept was, uh, we're coming to saving grace now. But I believe most uh, or many of them were still holding on to the law. And sometimes we hold on to the, the rituals, the rites, the customs, the traditions. We need to let this mediator do his effective work in my life and in your life. Now let's go back real quick because we studied this already in time past. Hebrews chapter 8, look at verse 6. The writer spoke of Jesus being the mediator of a better covenant. And so the Holy Spirit brings this forth, Hebrews 8, 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on a better promises. Jesus, our new covenant. Jesus, our new and our complete mediator. All of this is complete. It's finished through Jesus Christ, his death, his precious blood. The bridge between man and his creator is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so Job had the right idea. He was looking for this day's man. He was looking for this mediator. He was looking for this one that would go between him and God. He recognized that. And so here, uh, the writer to the book of Hebrews is addressing these Hebrew Christians that needed to come to grips, that Jesus was all that they needed. The law pointed them to the cross. Now, for us, you know, we say, well, what's the problem? Well, think of the Jewish mind, how difficult, how hard. And yet even us as Protestants, we come to Christ, but even then we bring baggage. And we have rituals, rites, custom. We have traditions. And sometimes we have to, just as the Jewish mind, we have to let it go. And to trust God that he is the complete mediator. And it's done. It's done. It's complete for the last 2,000 years. Now, let's begin uh, to just dissect this. And look at Hebrews chapter 9 now. Look at verse 11. We want to look at this position. Jesus, our mediator. 
And so verse 11 says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. He says, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Very important. That is, not of his, this creation. Now, the word creation in the Greek is better translated building. Now, again, it might not make sense to us, but if you were a Hebrew at this time, you would look at Herod's temple. It was everything to you. It was a great edifice, beautiful building. It took over 40 years to build. And yet in about four years, Titus and the Roman army would come and level it. This would be a hard concept for them. All of a sudden, the temple that they admired, that, uh, that they looked at, that they couldn't wait to go uh, on the Shabbat and to, you know, the Days of Atonement, other feast days that they celebrated. So the temple was everything. And so here in verse 11, Jesus Christ, our mediator, became our final high priest of the good things to come. Now, the main things, what did Jesus bring uh, to the table? Number one, he brought forgiveness. Secondly, he brought salvation, listen, by grace through faith. This was not possible in the temple, nor through the animal sacrifices. A better tabernacle, the Greek word for tabernacle, a complete tent, a complete habitation, not made with hands as the temple was man-made. Again, over 40 years in construction, built by the hands of man. Notice that Jesus did not enter the earthly tabernacle, this temple. When Jesus died, he rose again. Then on the 40th day, the post-resurrection, he ascends into the heavenly place, the tabernacle now in heaven. And currently we know that he sits at the right hand of majesty on high. And listen to this, he makes intercession for me. He makes intercession for you. Now, when I came to grips with that years ago, because we have a tendency sometimes not even to pray for ourselves. But I love this. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. In fact, he accuses us day and night. But we have this intercessor. We have this mediator. We have this bridge builder. That Jesus prays for me, and he prays for you. Oh, I just love that. I think we need to come to grips with that. Uh, how beautiful it is to know that we have somebody that intercedes for me. You know, I might forget to pray for my wife. She might forget to pray for me. But God is there. Jesus is there, and he intercedes for me. Beautiful place to be, church. We need to trust God. Jesus never entered the Holy of Holies as the earthly high priest did. He entered directly into the presence of God, God the Father. Now, here's the key to the letter of the Hebrews being written to Hebrew Christians in a short two to four year span. There would be no temple. There would be no Jerusalem. They have to trust God. They're going to be scattered to the four corners of the world. And here we are 2,000 years ago. They still don't have a temple. That is the big push in Jerusalem. The Jews want their temple, but we know it would cause a holy war because you have the Dome of the Rock Mosque. Now, it's interesting, according to the book of Revelation, that there's a man called Antichrist that's going to come in with a demonic truce. He's going to work this thing out where 
the Arabs and the Hebrews are going to be able to coexist with the temple and with the Dome of the Rock mosque. You see, Satan can do whatever he wants, and they're going to buy into that. But the temple has not been rebuilt. Oh, all the furniture and everything is ready. And yet we have access to the temple in heaven, the Holy of Holies. We have this arbitrator. We have this lawyer for our defense. We have this mediator, which is Christ. And he goes before for me, for you. What a beautiful picture. Now, we're going to continue. Uh, look at verse 12 now. Speaking of the mediation, the mediator, which is Christ. Look at verse 12. Not with blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Underline that. He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Our final high priest, our complete sacrifice, our complete mediator, Jesus Christ, our Savior, did not sprinkle the blood of goats, the blood of calves, the blood of lambs, the blood of turtle doves, but with his own personal shed blood. Jesus entered the holy of holies. Now, pay attention to this. There at Calvary, the hill of the skull, it's called Golgotha. Through his death, through his blood, only Jesus could obtain eternal redemption. We have this eternal redemption. Now, I want you to listen to the Greek translation. Only through Jesus Christ, listen, we find perpetual, everlasting, complete ransom. I mean, church, what else do we want? It's complete, it's done through the precious blood of Christ. Imagine coming in here uh, Sunday after Sunday or in the Jewish temple Saturday after Saturday, you would still bring your sacrifices. Waiting for that one day out of the year, the Day of Atonement, which we call Yom Kippur, hoping and praying that that scapegoat would take our sins out into the wilderness. Having to trust in this animal sacrifice. When now Jesus becomes the complete sacrifice. A perpetual, everlasting, listen, complete ransom. It's done. Again, that cry of victory at the cross, it is finished to tell a story. It's done. Nothing else has to be done. No more animal sacrifices. Jesus doesn't have to die on the cross every Sunday. It's done. It's complete. You see, there are those that want to get to heaven on their own merits, their own works, their own condition. But God has made it simple through his son, through the precious blood of Christ. Now, there is a verse, I, I love it, but this verse, either you love it or you hate it. And there are those that can't stand it. In John 14, 6, Jesus makes a radical statement. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. You see, man is always looking to prolong life. Ponce de Leon, years ago, wanted to find the fountain of youth. Well, I'll tell you what, the fountain of youth is available through Christ. You see, one of these days, either the rapture of the church is coming to take us home, or we're going to have to die a physical death. I mean, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Now, I pray the rapture of the church takes place. 
But imagine that we die and then we live forever. That's why I love Christian funerals. It's a celebration of praise. It's a celebration, basically, that they went before us. Jesus paid the full price, the ransom for all. I mean, you want eternal life? You want to live forever? It's only through Christ. Now, again, you're a Hebrew Christian. Can you take this all in? Paul the Apostle had to come to grips with this. Joseph of Arimathea had to come to grips with this. Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, he had to come to grips with this. I mean, so many that came to saving grace. Peter. I mean, the frustration of Peter in Acts chapter 10 when he goes to Cornelius' house, and then he sees all the animals that were forbidden to him, and God says, eat it. I have cleansed it. I have purified it. I mean, it's not an easy task. Once you come to Christ by faith. Now, let's take it a step further. Turn with me to the book of Galatians. Let's go to chapter 3. And in Galatians chapter 3, I want to pick it up in, in verse 10. But Paul is writing to a group of churches in Galatia. And he's frustrated with them because he starts out in Galatians chapter 3 in the very beginning. Verse 1. Oh, you foolish Galatians, you empty-headed Galatians, who has bewitched you not to obey the truth, the truth that Christ is the only way. Christ is our mediator. You foolish Galatians, a very strong Greek word, you empty-headed Galatians, the word to bewitched, who has charmed you, who has tricked you? I mean, they were coming to saving grace, and then all of a sudden, circumcision comes back into the picture. All of a sudden, you know, hey, we still need to go to temple. Well, you still have to keep the meat laws, the dietary laws, and, you know, they, they start to, you know, add to these things. When Jesus is the complete sacrifice. So Paul has to address this to the churches at Galatia. And we begin here in Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 10. And the caption of my Bible says, the law brings a curse and Jesus takes the curse all the way to the cross, this curse, the sin. He begins in verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, now I love this, that he always goes to the word of God. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. It's a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Bottom line, man could not fulfill the law. The law pointed you to the cross. In verse 11, he continues, clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because, and then he gives you the reason, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Now, the quote that he's using here is taken from the book of Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 4. The just shall live by faith. You see, the law covered sin for a season. But faith in Christ, faith in this mediator is eternal. Now, we'll get back to uh, the just shall live by faith at the conclusion. Look at verse 12 now. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, Paul says, the man who does these things will live by them. Not by faith, but it becomes a ritual 
a right, a custom, a tradition. Let's do this law. We have to do it. We have to follow it to a T. There's no faith in it. And the just shall live by faith. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, it goes back to the law. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. A direct quote from Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. He, Jesus Christ, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles uh, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, back in the book of Joel in chapter 2 was the prophecy that the Holy Spirit would be given. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell on the 120 that were in the upper room, and the church was established, and the church was never the same. Now, look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Because you are sons, let's include the lady, because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, if you know the Aramaic word there, Abba, it it speaks of the intimacy of calling your dad, Daddy. I mean, Paul had come to grips with that. Paul was a learned man when it came to the law. Now, remember when we were kids, you know, we would call our dad, daddy. Uh, In the Hispanic culture, we call him papi. And it was just this intimacy. Some of you would call him dads, pops, whatever it was. But you had this intimacy. You had this joy. When my, we have four girls, and when they want something, daddy, how you doing, daddy? Wait, you haven't called me daddy in years. Come on. How much am I going to get clipped for this time, right? But this intimacy, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Church, we have this same access. God is not there in the heavenly places. I used to think of this when I was a kid. He's up there. I can't approach him. He has a mallet in his hand. And if I say the wrong thing, there goes Bob. Smash. It's not the way it is, church. Man, we can come to the throne of grace. The Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace because I have been washed listen in the blood of the lamb and so Paul's addressing the church at Galatia now that was Galatians 4 6 look at verse 7 therefore you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son and a daughter then an heir of God through Jesus Christ now how does this happen but by In Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And again, what we're going to reiterate what Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. I come to Christ, listen, by faith. You come to Christ by faith. Jesus is my mediator. How do I know this? By faith. Jesus shed his blood for me, and I received that. How do I know this? By faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now, when we first heard these terms, years back, uh, many of the terms were foreign. But as we studied the word, as the Holy Spirit became our teacher, as we began to grow in Christ, my faith increased, your faith increased. 
We must have faith. When we get to Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the faith chapter. And it's just incredible, these Old Testament saints that trusted God by faith. Now, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest the man should both. And we ask, well, how did Abraham come to saving grace? By faith. He had to come by faith also. Now, speaking about Abraham, if you're taking notes, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, listen to this, by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed God. God said to Abraham, I want you to get out of your country, leave your family, leave your father's house to a land that I will show you. He didn't know where he was going. You know, years back when the Lord called us to New Mexico, we knew where we were going. We knew the exact city. God had ironed that out for us. But imagine Abraham, he's going, he's leaving, you know, everybody. Mom and dad behind. And he's going. Remember this? Abraham was 75 years old. And he stepped out by faith. And God said that he was going to bless him. God said that he was going to make him a great nation. And he did. Now, Abraham did not know these things right offhand, but he stepped out by faith. Remember when you came to Saving Grace? You didn't know that God was going to bless you? Oh, we go through our trials and tribulations, our hardships and our pains. We're not exempt from trials. But be honest with yourself. As long as you've been a Christian, have you been blessed? And the answer is yes. Now, when somebody asks you tomorrow, and they're a non-believer, and they say, how are you doing today, Bob? I'm blessed. Now, they're going to look at you kind of weird. I used to tell that to my coworkers. I'm blessed. You're weird, man. I'm blessed. Because this mediator, which is Christ, I know that he shed his blood to give me life, life eternal. You see, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and sheep and and turtle, it wasn't enough. It was a covering. It was kofar. It was temporal. It was all pointing to the cross. It was a picture of the things that God had for us, church. And so again, put yourself in these Hebrew Christian minds. And then in two to four years, your temple is going to be destroyed. You're going to be scattered. And man, you're going to have to live. Listen. I was thinking about the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years span. The Bible says she exhausted all of her money and she went from one doctor to another doctor. And the Bible speaks of, let's, you know, let's seek out a physician. I mean, Luke was Paul's physician. But we also seek out the great physician, the great healer, Jehovah Rapha. But this woman heard that Jesus was coming by her town and man her faith kicked in and Jesus was walking with an entourage of people and the Bible says that when Jesus went by the best that the woman could do was to stick her hand in, in the group of people and she grabbed onto the hem of his garment and Jesus stopped remember that and he says who touched me and the disciples come on Jesus I mean, there's people bumping and shoving and pushing, and we're all, you know, in this circle, and you stop who touched you. Everybody's touching you. But this woman, listen, touched him by faith. When we came to Christ, 
we touch the hem of his garment by faith. Remember the four stretcher bearers that took their friend to the top of the roof? They couldn't get in to see Jesus in that particular house. And they began to take the roof tiles out, and then they lowered Jesus down from the roof. Jesus said, I have not seen such faith in all Israel. And I'll tell you what. He had four special friends because he could not do it on his own. And each one of those four stretcher bearers, they each had to carry that gurney. They had to do their part. And I tell you, their faith speaks by tearing apart, you know, that roof to lower him down. Faith, church. And it took us faith to come to saving grace. Now, let's go back to our text. Look at verse 13. And he goes back to the law now. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Now, the reference here is back to this day of atonement, the day that we call Yom Kippur. Once a year, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, sprinkled the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat, and placed it on the mercy seat. Outside, they would take a whole red heifer, unblemished, unmarked, was placed in the fire, consumed for purification. All of this to sanctify, to set apart, first of all, the high priest for the purifying of his own flesh and for the sins of the nation of Israel. All this was done on this one day, the Day of Atonement. Now, there was another goat, and it was called the escape goat. They would lay hands on this goat, transferring the sins of Israel onto that goat. Now, imagine. And then they would release that goat. The scripture says that there were intervals where they set up the priesthood. And the priesthood would watch this goat take off into the wilderness. Now, think about it. You had to hope, you had to pray that that goat would continue into the wilderness. Because as that goat continued and he did not return, then that showed you that your sins were taken out to the desert. That God was forgiving your sins. But then you'd have to do it again next year. Then I always thought, what about the goat if he liked the grass pretty much there around Jerusalem? You couldn't get rid of him. Hey, Amen. Your sins were not forgiven. Oh, God forbid. Because now we have this mediator and we come to saving grace. And we receive Christ. Listen, once and for all, not every Sunday, once and for all, it's done. Oh, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And this is where the grace of God comes into the picture. Now, we've shared this many times. And I've struggled with this years back. I've come to the conclusion, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. But can you define grace? The Bible says that grace is unmerited favor. I deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. We know that. But it gives me grace. And the Bible says, how much grace do you want? How much grace do you need? We need to learn, listen, by faith, to bask in his grace. I don't have to worry if that escape goat's going to continue. I don't have to worry if he stays around because he likes the grass, you know, by the temple. I believe by faith that when Jesus died, he died once and for all to give me life, to give you life, life eternal. Now, if you want to do some homework, 
The study of the red heifer, you can look into it in Numbers chapter 19. Uh, These two goats, and one of them was called the escape goat. I want you to study Leviticus chapter 16. And we study that, and it speaks about the Day of Atonement. Now, we're going to look at verse 14, but let me set it up. Verse 14 gives man relief. Through Jesus Christ, our complete sacrifice. Listen, again, once and for all, it is finished. It's done. You know, when we read the Gospels and we read the accounts of Jesus finally going, you know, to the cross and giving up the ghost, and we kind of just read through it. You know, we celebrate, you know, the Easter week and, you know, Passover week. And, uh, but I don't think we grasp what took place completely at the cross there at Calvary on the, on the hill of the skull. You see, Jesus died on the cross. And right before he gives up the ghost, he looks up into the heavens and he cries out, it is finished. Let me read the verse to you. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus, therefore, had received the sour vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. It's finished, church. It's complete. It is done once and for all. I don't have to rely upon two goats. One is sacrificed, and the blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat. Jesus has become my mercy seat. Jesus has become the propitiation for my sin, for your sin. It's done, church. And I'll tell you what, we can take that to our spiritual bank. It's a done deal. I don't have to worry about, is God going to forgive me? He has forgiven you. The Bible says he's taken our sins as far as east is to west, and he's cast them into the sea. He's forgiven us, listen, past, present, and future, if we've come to the cross. This is what the mediator does for us. Now look at verse 14 with me. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, listen, without spot to God. Jesus was sinless. Who offered himself without spot to God. And I want you to underline that. Cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. Now that word conscience is very strong. It's called the guilt complex. The enemy loves to rattle our cage. We shared, the book of Revelation tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us day and night. But I love, because Jesus is our arbitrator. He is our mediator. He responds, she's one of mine or he's one of mine. They are covered, listen, under the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 14. Let me translate it as best I can. Think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our hearts from deeds that lead to death so that we can worship the living God. By the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a complete or perfect sacrifice for our sins. And again, there's that word, once and for all. Now I want you to imagine waiting for the Day of Atonement once a year, 
the day of Yom Kippur, if you're a Jew, you would come in to the Shabbat on Saturday. If you're a Christian or you're a Protestant, you come to church on, on Sunday. But for the Jew, it was Saturday after Saturday. For the Gentile, Sunday after Sunday. But now we come for instructions in the word of God because I'm born again, you're born again. God has saved me, and I believe that, and I trust God in that. How? By faith. And again, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The woman with the issue of blood, she had such faith. The four stretcher bearers, they had such faith. And again, when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the faith chapter for a reason. Abraham, 75 years old, get up and leave. How do you do it? By faith. Now, if I was Abraham, Lord, where am I going, man? You want me to go in the I-10? You want me to go west? Or, you know, where do you want me to go, Lord? You want me to go south? Where do I stop? We have all these questions. And yet God says, step out by faith. Now, watch how he brings it to this conclusion. Verse 15. Now, I went ahead of myself. The word uh, that he uses, cleanse your conscience. Let's go back to it. Excuse me. Only Jesus Christ can cleanse the conscience of man. The word to cleanse, the, Christ is the only one that can purge or purify man's guilt complex. That's the conscience. The guilt complex. You see, uh, they tell us that man can't forgive himself. You can't forgive yourself. You'll hang on to that guilt complex. And the enemy will use that. But by faith, by faith, it's washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm a child of the King. I am washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. His blood <laughs> that cleanses me. His blood that takes care of my guilt complex. Lord, maybe I can't forgive myself, but I know this. You forgive me. I thank you, Lord. And as you grow in Christ, and as your faith develops in Christ, you're able to receive that. Because the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so this pardon of the blood that was given to us. It's done, church. <laughs> we have been delivered, listen, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God was already making a preparation. Remember Adam and Eve? When they found out that they were in sin, they went and covered themselves with fig leaves. But then the Bible says that God placed skins upon them. In other words, that God made the first animal sacrifice. There has to be the blood. And there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, was already the promise of the Messiah that would come and to remove the guilt of sin. And the next time the enemy rattles your cage, you tell him, it is written, I am covered by the blood of the Lamb. Now let's go on to verse 15 as he comes to the conclusion. And for this reason, 
And for this reason, he, Jesus Christ, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called, underline that, those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Jesus is the one who mediates the new covenant between God and man. All who are invited can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. Now, how do I know this? Because Jesus Christ died to set them free, to set us free from the penalty of sins that had been committed under the first covenant. He's forgiven us. He forgave them. Now, here's a good question. As I look at verse 15, who is invited to this throne of grace? Who is invited to be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Now, we have to be very careful. The Bible does teach on predestination. But there are those that really push the envelope. Are you predestined, brother? Are you chosen? Are you called? Are you elected? Now, when you come to predestination, when you come to election, basically, <laughs> that God has a selected number of people, a selected group of people. But you see, I always ask this question when it comes to predestination. <laughs> if some are predestined to heaven, are there those that are predestined to hell? I want you to think about that. Because hell was never created for men. Hell was created for the fallen angels. Now, who places themselves in hell? They do. God doesn't send you there. In fact, God makes every opportunity available to keep you from there. The Bible says that he speaks more about hell than he does about heaven because he wants to keep you out of that. Yet there are those that hang on to this. Well, maybe you're chosen. Maybe you're chosen. I don't know if I'm chosen. Hey, listen. What about the universal call? What about for God so loved the world? What does that encompass? Now, we're going to conclude with Gospel of John. I want you to turn with me uh, to chapter 3. John chapter 3, we want to pick it up in verse 10. But let me set this up. There's a man by the name of Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee, belonged to the Sanhedrin. But it's interesting to me as you read the text, he comes to Jesus by night. He feared his peers. And he asks this question. What must a man do to enter the kingdom of God? Now, remember the storyline? Jesus kind of rebukes him. Nicodemus, you're a ruler of the Jews. You should know these things. And then he concludes, remember? Nick, you must be born again. You must come to the cross. You must come to the place of forgiveness. Now, remember when you first heard the term born again. You reacted just like Nicodemus. How can I go back into my mother's womb at my age? It was believed that Nicodemus was an elderly man, probably uh, at least 50 to 60 years old. 
belonged to the Sanhedrin, ruler of the Jews. How can I go back into my mother's womb? I remember when I heard it. I thought the same. But you must be born again of the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual move. Now, if you don't like the terms born again, there needs to be regeneration. There needs to be the new birth. You need to come to that place where God takes your heart and he transforms you. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, any woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things passed away, all things become new. Now, be careful. There are those that come to saving grace, and they try to change the outward appearance. I remember back at Calvary Chapel, West Covina, that was a particular friend of ours, and he came to saving grace on a Sunday. The following Sunday, he's wearing a a suit to church. And at Calvary Chapel, hardly anybody wears a suit unless you're getting married or getting buried, one or the other. And I go, what are you doing, man? You're, you're wearing a suit. Pastor Raul don't even wear a suit. Well, I'm a Christian now. And man, you, you got too much Old Spice on, bro. What are you doing? You know, we got this concept of Christianity in an outward mode. But the Bible says God wants to change the heart. He wants to take that stony heart. He wants to take that callous heart. He wants to take that heart of pride and give you a heart of flesh, a heart after God's own heart. And so Nicodemus had to come to that place of salvation, just like you and I, just as Paul the Apostle, which was Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus in, in Acts chapter 9. Is that you, Lord? We must come to the cross. We must come to the mediator, which is Christ. We cannot get to God unless we go through the cross. And so I wanted to conclude with John chapter 3. Let's pick it up in verse 10 now. Jesus answered and he said to him, he's talking to Nicodemus, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. Now, Jesus' ministry was the three-and-a-half-year span. And he shared everything with them. In verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. He's speaking of Christ. The incarnate God. In verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now, you'd have to study Numbers chapter 21. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, remember the snakes were biting the children of Israel. And they were crying out to Moses. And God said, I want you to erect and make this, you know, it was a brass serpent. Place it on a pole and tell them to fix their eyes on it. Now, if you continue to study the Old Testament, they began to worship that. They continued to worship that. But God wanted them to look by faith. It was a thing of brass. In the Hebrew, it's nehushtan. Let it go. Brass speaks of judgment. But God wanted them to trust him faith look at verse 15 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is Christ who was placed on the cross. And we know this classic verse, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, there's the universal call. Now, the Bible does teach on predestination. The Bible teaches on chosen, election. But here's the universal call, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God, Jesus Christ. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, but his deeds should be exposed. Verse 21, the conclusion. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. This is where the faith factor comes in. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, we have to believe that by faith. And then we have to receive him by faith. And we come to that place of the born-again experience. Receiving this mediator, which is Christ. Now, Nicodemus comes to saving grace. Joseph of Arimathea comes to saving grace. Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle, comes to saving grace. Now, this morning, as we come to the conclusion, you know, I don't know where you're at. I know most of you. But I'm going to ask you not to leave here without coming to grips with your mediator, which is Christ. If you've not received Christ, today is the day of your salvation. Or maybe you're so backslidden, you need to come back to Christ. In Hebrews chapter 2, Paul was exhorting, I believe he's the writer of the book of Hebrews, some of them were beginning to slip away. Some of them were beginning to slide, you know, into that position of backsliding. We're going to see that more and more in the end times. So this morning... If you've never received Christ, here's your opportunity. If you need to rededicate that life, here's your opportunity. I cannot save you, neither can Calvary Chapel, only the mediator, which is Christ, and his precious blood can save you. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy. Lord, I pray this morning that each one of us have come to that place of saving grace. And if not, maybe there's one, maybe there's two. They've not come to that place of saving grace. Today is the day of your salvation. And maybe there are those that need to rededicate that life. Lord, I don't know their hearts, but you know them. As the Holy Spirit has spoken to them, 
with every eye closed, every head bowed. If that's you this morning, you need to come to Christ first of all. I'm not here to embarrass you. We're not here to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at, if you'd like to receive Christ, would you raise your hand? And I'll say a simple prayer of faith. I see your hand way in the back. Praise the Lord. Anybody else would like to receive Christ this morning? Just raise your hand. We'll say a, a simple prayer of faith. Don't leave here without coming to grips with your mediator, which is Christ. Anybody else real quick? Then let's pray for this beautiful lady in the back. Father, right now in the precious name of Jesus, Lord, I pray for this woman as she has raised her hand to you, Lord. Father, she desires to come to that place of the born-again experience, Lord. Father, hear her cries, Lord. Lord, see her soul even now. Lord, wash her in the precious blood of Christ. Lord, save her from the fires of hell, Lord. Father, fill her now with your Holy Spirit. Lord, give her a desire to study your word. Give her a desire to draw closer to you day by day, Lord. Father, bless her now. And Father, those that maybe need to rededicate that life this morning, that they would rededicate, that they would ask you one more time, Lord, forgive me. I have blown it, Lord. Forgive me. And Father, we know that you're faithful, you're just uh, to forgive. Father, bless your beautiful people that have come this morning, Lord. And Lord, we pray for the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. Bless the offerings, Lord, and bless your people now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen.